Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. I am Afropolitan. Afropolitan. Kaya FM. Kaya FM. 95.9. The home straight. The home straight. Kaya FM. 95.9. He won the league with Manning Rangers. Uh, he played for Amazulu. He played for Bafana Bafana and played in Europe. Big George Kumantarakis. What is he up to now? Our man in Durban, Tatezakum Simango, caught up with him. George Komantara, these uh, people now don't know where you are to up to these days. Can you please tell us what you are up to since you retired from football long there and long time ago? Okay, well, yeah, it's uh, it's quite easy actually. Um, I'm in business now, and that's what I always wanted to be. So I'm in uh, property business. So we have two companies, one that owns a lot of property and we administer that property and we uh, collect rentals for it. Um, And the second one is a development company. So it's all industrial property that I'm involved with. So we buy pieces of land, we'll um, get a development together and then we'll subcontract the work out. And uh, at the end of the day, the development is ours and we decide either to rent it out or to sell you know the the different units in the in the park. Was it was it difficult to make a switch from football to business now? No, not 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 hard at all because uh, I finished my studies while I was playing professional uh, soccer. So while I was here in South Africa, I studied at UKZN. I finished my BCom LLB. So I'm a lawyer by profession. So I always wanted to be in business. Uh, I didn't end up being a lawyer, but um, I think uh, soccer was just a stepping stone for me. I enjoyed my time playing football, but it was never something that I ever thought that, you know, that's that's the only thing I want to be as a soccer player. I always wanted to be involved in business. What was the highlight of your career? Was it winning the league with many Rangers? Yeah, I mean, locally, that's definitely my highlight of my career. Um, I mean, it was fantastic. It was the inaugural PSL. Um, Manning Rangers had been, it was almost like a, the Leicester City story. Um, where they, for, for the seasons before, they were always finishing near the bottom of the league. We were a very small club. No one expected us to ever win the league. We started that season, um, it was, like I said, the inaugural PSL. Um, we lost uh, 10-0 to Chiefs and it was live on TV. So everyone said, oh, Manning Rangers is definitely getting relegated this season. I mean, they just got whooped 10-0. We ended up winning that league, which was crazy. We were, I think, the next eight games in a row away from home, we didn't lose. And of course, our home games, we we won uh, most of those. So, um, yeah, so we went on a good run and uh, we won that league. So, locally, that was my highlight for sure. During the time when you joined Supersport, set the record transfer fee in South Africa with the yeah. time of 500,000. Mm. Well, what, what was it like? Is it any pressure maybe from the supporters? Maybe you're supposed to do better? Look, the, the, the supporters never liked me in the first place. I mean, uh, every time I played, uh, if I played for Bafana, if I played for, okay, other than many ranges my club football wasn't so bad but anytime I played for the national team oh, I change him and change him but I was a proven goal scorer um, my coaches always knew that if there's a chance to fall to somebody they wanted it to be to me because they knew that it would be in the back of the net so they knew what they had so um, obviously at many ranges uh, I was still young when I finished uh, second in the top goal scorer race behind uh, Wilfred Mugay and obviously Wilfred Mugay in those days was uh, about five or six years older than me and he was in the peak of his career so he was scoring goals for fun um, so I finished second that year uh, when we won the league at Rangers and then I moved across to Supersport 
where I ended up being top goal scorer that year. So, um, yeah, it was a fantastic year for me, um, even though I was a record transfer. And so people were saying, well, the pressure is going to get to him. I ended up being uh, going one better and actually winning the top goal scorer race. So, um, yeah, it actually worked out well. So let's tell us more about your time overseas. You had a very wonderful stint with the Basel. My highlight was obviously winning the league and cup with FC Basel. It was their first league and first cup, I think the first league in 29 years and the first cup in 36 years that they had won as a club and um, now FC Basel is probably one of the biggest clubs in, in Europe from coming from one of the smaller leagues in, uh, in the world um, they're a powerful force now they, they, I mean they, they're taking players from all over and uh, you know they, they just sell them on I think some of the players you might know of is Shakiri at Liverpool um, I don't know if you remember a guy called Mladen Petric he also played in the Premier League um, there's also, um, who else was it, um, Shaka from Arsenal. Um, there's a few other guys. So they've made some huge transfers into big clubs, you know. So um, they, they are still considered a smaller club in Europe. But, I mean, from where they used to be to what they are now, it's, it's amazing. At one stage, you were supposed to sign with Rapid Vienna from um, Austria. What happened before you choosing to go to Basel? Yeah, um, it wasn't, uh, I didn't go to Basel straight away. Um, first of all, I was a youngster. I mean, it was, uh, I was about 20, 21, and I was playing for many Rangers. And obviously, Gordon Ingerson, um, having played in, in Austria professionally before he coached, he, he knew that I could make it in Europe. So he said, come, let me take you over. So we went over. I had a, a four-day trial. And after four days, they offered me a three-year contract. Um, I knew that I still had uh, two years left to finish my LB, so I didn't want to finish my stop my studies halfway. So I told Gordon I'm not signing. Of course, Gordon was absolutely angry with me and crazy. Thought I was crazy. I mean, players weren't getting offered uh, contracts in smaller European clubs, and I was turning down, um, you know, Rapid Vienna. But in hindsight. In my heart, I knew that I was good enough to play in Europe. I knew that uh, my style of football suited European football anyway. And um, that as soon as I finished my studies, the first thing I'd do is, is, is find myself a club in Europe. And that's exactly what happened. So I went to FC Lucerne. I played one year there, which um, I scored double-figure goals that year in my first year in Europe. And obviously, FC Basel came in and, uh, and signed me. And then there, there I played for four and a half years. What does it take to be successful in overseas, especially from a South African player. We see now South African players are going overseas. Maybe after two or three years, they're coming back. They they don't make it like they expected to do overseas. But the back then, the likes of Lucas Adebe, Sean Barclay, you guys, Mark Bettisbaya, Aaron Mugwena, stayed overseas for more than five years. But now the guys who are coming up, they don't make it overseas. What does it mean? What, 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 what the players are supposed to do to, in order to stay a very long time in overseas? Look, I think it's a, it's a, it's also as a generation thing. I mean, the, the players from our time were a lot more hungrier to, to succeed. I think the players nowadays... Um, uh, I think it's a lot easier, you know, once they've made it in the PSL, they think that's good enough because the money is also fantastic now in the PSL. Before, I mean, I used to play for 500 Rand a month, but um, players now won't even play for 50,000 Rand a month. It's so, uh, in a way, I think they, they're not so hungry anymore. I mean, we were hungry to make it. Um, it was something new and we were all wanting to get there. I think it's also 
the the style of play has changed. I think um, I think South African football has been left behind a little bit. I mean, we always had you know the you know the fancy football with um, you know a lot of tricks involved and everything. And if you look at the South African footballers that have made it overseas, which of those really tricky players have made it? None. It's all of the players that have been have got a very good skill level. I mean, we can guys like Benny McCarthy and Quinton Fortune um, had very good skills, but they were very good at going direct. They played very direct football, nothing too fancy. They only used the fancy stuff when they needed to get out of a problem. And I think that's the biggest issue. Guys like Lucas Kadebe and um, uh, Phil Masinga, they were strong guys, mentally strong guys. They knew how to play simple football and that's why they succeeded. And I think that's the problem. I think we, uh, you know, the supporters and South African football in general um, want to play uh, too complicated a style of football where the simple stuff is probably the easiest stuff to do and it's doing the right things over and over again. Now, if you get into the habit of doing the wrong things, the minute you go to Europe, you make the wrong run, you make the wrong pass, you make the wrong decision. Once, twice, three times the coach says, right, come out, I'll put somebody who can do the job. And, you know, the players don't realize that. They think um, doing the job means to, uh, yeah, putting the ball through somebody's legs or um, trying to dribble them when you don't need to dribble them. You just need to play a pass and move. And you'll get the ball into the area without even having dribbled a player. If you notice overseas, there's hardly a, a players that dribble uh, somebody else. They'll only dribble a player when needed. Otherwise, it's just passing control, passing control, moving into space, making the right passes at the right time. That's the secret to everything. And the more simple the pass to a striker, a midfielder, the easier it is for him to actually control the ball and score. I mean, we, we've got players here um, that can knock you a ball. I mean, I used to play with some of these guys that were fantastic footballers. They could kick a ball with the outside of their foot. 30 meters and find you but the problem as a striker when you're getting a ball in the, in the air roughly about your chest height with the ball spinning and you're trying to control it and score a goal it's almost impossible but if you're getting a ball on the ground perfectly weighted onto your run you don't have to stop all you have to do is concentrate on one thing is putting the ball in the back of the net that's the difference so yes you can play fancy stuff but it's not it's not efficient you can play the simple stuff and it's efficient. And simple football, unfortunately, I played simple football. So here I was ridiculed and people, ah, oh, change him and he can't do this, he can't do that. Yeah, but the things that I needed to do, I could do and I could do them well. And going to Europe, that was the difference. As soon as I went to Europe, people saw I was making the right runs. Making the, in South Africa, I'd make the right run, it would, the ball wouldn't come. Or it would come a split second too late and then I'm offside. So... It all plays a factor, so I think that's the biggest, uh, the biggest thing. I think uh, South African football needs to focus on the simple stuff. Of course, the skill comes into play all the time when you're in trouble. But the object of football is not to get yourself into trouble. Play simple, play early, get out of trouble before it actually comes onto you. At the time you were involved with the Bafana Bafana, the time Bafana Bafana was performing very, very well in terms of was one of the powerhouse in Africa. But we under we overlooked most of the time because there were some Sean Barclays and Benny McCart. How do you feel when you look back into in international career? If you, um, look, I played with some amazing strikers and there were some amazing strikers that were before me. And I'm the first one to say guys like Benny McCarthy, Sean Bartlett were 
I, I can't put myself on him. Maybe with Benny McCarthy, I can't. But with Sean Bartlett, I played at similar club levels with him. Um, he was always somebody I looked up to because he was a little bit older than me. Um, of course, I was overlooked, but um, people, it was a time where the, you know, the internet was still in its infancy. You, people didn't really, you couldn't check on players. There wasn't footage all the time so you could see, hey, wow, this guy week in and week out is scoring goals. I was in Basel, um, well, I was in Lucerne. I scored double figures in my first year in Europe. Um, I'd already made my debut for, for Bafana. I'd played four games. And then for four years, I didn't get a game. And then all of a sudden, the World Cup comes. Joe Masono uh, says, well, you know what? I've just been thrown in on deep end as a coach. I want to call everyone in. And to my face, Joma, when I arrived there, said, listen, George, I haven't seen you play. I remember how you used to play. To be honest, I don't think you've got a chance, but you're here, give it a go. And I said to him, that's all I need. I'm here and don't leave the rest to me. After the first week, there was, I think there was about 45 players or 50 players that he called in. After the first week, he cut like 15. He didn't cut me that week because he saw me at training and then he was like, wow, who is this guy? You know, it's a totally different player. He came to me after that first cut. He says, you know what, George? He says, um, look, I haven't seen much because I haven't played you, but I'm going to give you a chance to play. But, um, you know, this is your only chance, basically. If you, It's up to you to decide what you're going to do, but you're going to be cut in the next round. He was very honest, and I, and I always take my hat off to people like that. I, I knew where I stood with him. I don't like people who don't tell you something, and then you don't know where you stand, and next thing you're out. I got a half a game to play. It was here in Durban. We were in a camp. I came on in the second half. I played fantastically well, but my normal game. It wasn't any good game or bad game. It was my normal game that I'd play in Europe. The next cut of 10 players came, so we were down to like the 30, and I wasn't announced again. He came to me and he says, George, um, I, I've misunderstood what's going on. He says, you're in the 30 now. Only, only 23 are going to go, so seven are leaving. He says, keep doing what you're doing. He says, you might have a chance. I said to him, that's all I need. Thank you for telling me. And, and I carried on doing my work. Funny enough, came, I was the 23rd player announced, of course. I made it in the 23. And um, before the World Cup started, I was scoring in every game he put me on. If he put me on for 10 minutes, I scored. If he put me on for half an hour, I scored. If I played, eventually Benny McCarthy was saying, before the World Cup was signing, he says, I'd, I'd, I'd want to start my World Cup with George up front because he's a different type of player and he can take the pressure off me because he's not the type of player who, can, who likes the long ball. So he says, I can work off him. So Jomo put me in the game against Turkey. Turkey finished third in that World Cup that year. They finished third in a World Cup, okay? We beat them 2-0. Benny McCarthy scored both. The first goal was a flick on from me. It was a long ball flick on. He ran onto it, opened it one on one with the goalkeeper. He scored. The second one was a Benny McCarthy special. Only Benny McCarthy can score those. He took on like four players and, and smashed it. So I'd, I thought I was going to start the World Cup. Comes the first game of the World Cup. Again, I'm on the bench. He puts me on. We start playing longer balls. We're putting pressure against, we're losing to Paraguay. What happens? We're playing in their box. Penalty, 2-2. And uh, that was the, the, the penalty that um, Quinton Fortune scored. And we got our first point in the World Cup <laughs> from losing. And then the next game, I thought, well, Slovenia, I'm going to start. Again, the newspapers were all saying, oh, well, I think we should start with George eventually. I didn't start again. He gave me 10 or 15 minutes. Last game against Spain, we're losing 3-2. 
as soon as the going, you know, we, we realized that we, we might be out, we need a, another goal, 3-3, he puts me back on. This time for our, I got about 20 minutes. And we had opportunities to actually equalize against Spain. So, again, uh, I thank Jomo for the opportunities, but at least he took the time out. And, um, and he was also brutally honest. He thought, well, I'm not, I don't think you're good enough, George. But when he saw, after four years of playing in Europe, what I could actually do, he says, well, I want him in my side. So... It was a bit of a difficult time for me because obviously I was overlooked, but um, I'm still very thankful. I mean, I played, I ended up only playing 13 games for Bafana, but if you look on the records, I, I was probably on the bench for about another 30 games and I was probably in the stands for another 15 or 20 games. So in my career, I made my debut 97 and our last game was in 2005. In that time period, I probably was involved in about 60 Bafana games, but only played 13. The Home Straight. The Home Straight. Kaya FM 95.9. So that was part one of the interview with Big George. Stay tuned next week to The Home Straight between 8 and 9 o'clock because we'll be back with part two. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.